I welcome you to the Holistic Health Show. I'm Dr. Carl O'Helvey, your host. My guest today, Nancy Novak, was diagnosed with stage 4 ovarian cancer, which had metastasized to her liver in 2004. Nancy says she is oftentimes asked what she did that was so unique, so mysterious, that she survived a lethal dose of cancer, the silent killer of ovarian cancer is often called. She says she was extremely fortunate to have an excellent psychologist who worked closely with her to define and refine her personal relationships to her own cancer. She was also blessed with a magnificent A-team of friends and family and so many angels that embraced her. She says the opening of her heart to new loves and old brought forth an attitude of blessed gratitude that she had never known before. She says, when I read and reread the stories written by cancer survivors, I see the universality of the attitude of gratitude in the process of healing. Nancy's mission since her cancer journey is all about determining the unmet needs of cancer patients, especially the emotional aspects, and doing her best to find a way to fill them. She is a psychologist and has significant concerns that the medical community does not address the levels of anxiety and stress and existential chaos that come with the cancer diagnoses, all of which get in the way of healing. Her foundation, Nancy's List, supports the emotional well-being of all those who are living with cancer, the patients and those who love and care for them. She received a 501c3 nonprofit status in 2006 and launched her first website. Nancy's List was intended to be simply a list of financial resources, and her intention was to educate cancer patients and their loved ones and the healing professions who serve them about the accessibility of these programs. At the same time, she created a community call to action in the San Francisco Bay Area to reach out and support the courage, bravery, and resilience of our neighbors. Through the Nancy's List program, cancer patients and their loved ones found community, strength, courage, pleasure, and healing relationships. I'm With You, Love Letters to Cancer Patients is a powerful book for the newly diagnosed patient, for those who are going through treatment or have entered remission for loved ones or for everyone else in the world. She created the anthology with 42 authors who truly share her vision, passion, and mission. It brings hope and courage to patients when they need inspiration, when they are feeling the loneliness and fear and anger and loss that go hand in hand with cancer diagnoses, when they need comfort and a warm heart and a hand to hold. The book offers connection to kindred spirits who know. Nancy is now developing a comprehensive national directory of integrative healing practitioners who offer their services and their souls to deepen the healing process. 
The goal is for all cancer patients to have the opportunity to experience healing. The process is very simple. They write a blurb, add a JPEG, and contact information, and email Nancy at nancy at nancyslist.org, and she posts it on the comprehensive directory. More information is available at nancyslist.org. I welcome you to the Holistic Health Show, Nancy, and I look forward to hearing about your cancer journey and cancer foundation. Now, first, Nancy, when were you diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and what stage were you? I was diagnosed April 29, 2004. I was stage 4. And what symptoms did you have at the time? Uh, I had a tummy ache that wouldn't go away on the right-hand side of my belly. And, uh, you know, women my age, I was 60 at the time, always have tummy aches and always feel bloated. So some of the things they talk about, the symptoms of ovarian are something women live with all the time. So it's difficult to detect because of that. Mine had actually metastasized into my liver, which is one reason it was considered stage 4, which is an unusual presentation for ovarian. Usually it's much more focused on the belly, but that's what I have. Mm -hmm. And had you sought medical treatment before reaching the physician who diagnosed you? No. No, no. And what was the prognosis and treatment plan that the doctor offered you? Well, this is why I think my, I'm still here 15 years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, the typical protocol for ovarian is called debulking, where they do this major surgery of, it's, it's like a, um, a hysterectomy times 10, mm-hmm. where they just scrape your whole belly and... Uh, it's a very big surgery. Women have to stay in the hospital a few days, and then as quickly as they can, they want to put them into chemo. Mm-hmm. And my experience with other people is that these women aren't strong enough to go start chemo. My doctor said, uh-uh, we're not doing it that way. We're starting chemo right away, and mm-hmm. we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. I never had the debulking process mm-hmm. Um and I do believe that more institutions are looking at treatment that way than, than in the, the typical protocol. And, Nancy, besides the chemo, did you add anything like diet, mental, spiritual activities, or any supportive interventions? Yes. yes. I was so fortunate. I was blessed with what I call my magnificent A-team of my friends and family, but mm-hmm. I, I went beyond that. Um, I found mentors. I found a wonderful psychologist who had experienced cancer, who I talked to regularly about my my spirit and um, my emotional needs during this period. I had... Um, I'm, I'm pretty good about diet anyway, and doing yoga and doing it. I had a yoga teacher who came to my house three times a week. I didn't favor support groups. They're not a really good thing for ovarian mm-hmm. patients because mm-hmm. too many times the women pass away between one session and the next session, and it was very depressing to me, so I, I couldn't do that. Um, I created something to help me get through. It was like really to understand my personal relationship 
with my cancer rather than just reading what everybody else is going through. I really mm-hmm. wanted to develop a partnership with the cancer rather than an adversarial relationship, which I think was very, very helpful to me. Um, so I was quite active, you know. I mean, the way my my treatment schedule was set up was that once every three weeks I had an infusion, but I had one good week out of those the intervening times, and so I was it was very active and uh, spent a lot of time in nature and by the beach and with mm-hmm. my friends mm-hmm. and my my family, and um, I just set out. I didn't. I wasn't able to do a lot of the integrative therapies that I think are being used right now. The doctor said, you know, they wanted to monitor me very closely because I was pretty sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and that acupuncture may interfere with their ability to assess how the treatment plan was working. So I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people have done that, but I didn't do that. I didn't do the magic mushrooms. I didn't do a lot mm-hmm. of sitting mm-hmm. under a lotus tree in Tanzania, in Tanzania, you know. I didn't do that, but um, I listened. I have a spiritual practice, and that was important to me. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of mindfulness stuff and meditation and guided imageries and, and that thing. But mm-hmm. this is all self-motivated. It wasn't like someone gave me a plan. Mm-hmm. I ate well. I exercised. Mm-hmm. I was still. I still practiced. I'm a psychologist. I was practicing for a good long time. So, um, I was very fortunate. Nancy, the diet. I know a lot of people go on the ketogenic now, and some doctors say you can eat meat, and others say you can't. And when I had it, I was on a vegan diet, which is what my doctor recommended. Did you mm-hmm. eat meat and dairy, or did you eliminate those, or can you give us some I specifics? I didn't do much. You know, I'm, I, I think you asked what was the prognosis. I mean, I remember my doctor who walks on water in my life, of course, mm-hmm. said, uh, this is going to be a rocky road, you mm-hmm. know, um, and hang in there. And uh, he said a few things, like if you if you you know, be awake and be aware of what you're putting in your mouth. But, you know, it's not a time to deprive you of a lot of things that bring you pleasure. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people have a reaction to that. Mm -hmm. But I think there's so much loss attached to having a cancer diagnosis. I mean, just, you know, we could talk about that forever, but there's so much sense of of what you're losing. And I think that um, it's important to, to really do the nutrition part and to be uh, creative in that. And I was very fortunate, which I will add here, to have a good friend named Rebecca Katz who wrote a cookbook called The Cancer-Fighting Kitchen. And it's all just all your basic, wonderful, good foods, but she adds a a, a twist to it. Like, how do you make it yummy? How does it feel like you make this, you know, what do you do? Do you add a little maple syrup, a little honey here, a little lemon here to make it get to yum? Because Mm -hmm. I don't think we need to, you know, appetite's always an issue there, but make it a positive experience. The food isn't, the food is medicine, really, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's a very big, uh, not controversial, but a complicated part of the cancer treatment. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm really against shame and blame here. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's very important that we reinforce all the positive things we can, and and eating is a big part of the of the healing process. I think that there is blame though when it comes to food and some of the fast foods and 
some of the things that the American public, well, the standard American diet is a Mm -hmm. known carcinogen. So I think there is some blame when it comes to what we're offered and that we can make better choices. And sometimes I think that we're reminded of that with some of the chronic illnesses that we develop. Not that we need to blame ourselves, but sometimes we do need a little nudge to move in a more positive direction. And I know in my own life, uh, my diet wasn't the best because I was a university professor. Mm-hmm. You publish or perish. And so I was writing books and I was doing research and I was teaching and doing all the things. And, you know, where do you find the time to do a proper diet in a 24-hour day? And being a nurse, I think nurses also tend to not take care of themselves so well as they do Uh their Uh patients. So I think that in my own instance, I was nudged to do a little bit better in my own life. I remember someone saying to me, and I thought it was such an easy thing to do, when I look at a piece of food, whatever Mm -hmm. it might be, and Mm -hmm. ask myself, it's about orientation. Is this towards life or is this piece of food away from life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's that simple, you know, and you just look at it and you know um, whether it's serving your healing or it's getting in the way and making it harder. And I think that's probably so simple about not just food, but, but our activity level and mm-hmm. the people we choose mm-hmm. to be with, mm-hmm. um, the way we spend our time since we have a lot of alone time when we're sick. You know, is this towards life or is this away from life? Mm-hmm. So, I think that is such an important concept, Nancy. I think mm-hmm. I would also sometimes change it to life and am I turning toward the light or away from the light? You know, mm-hmm. because sometimes exactly. we say things that are not toward the light and yet there are better ways sometimes in our life to say things and not offend anyone in the process. So I think that's a very important concept. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then and easy to easy to use mm-hmm. rather than reading the reading the. We know intuitively when we look at something. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have to read the chemicals on the can of, of tuna fish. We already know. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. 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 And, Nancy, then, how long did it take for recovery? Well, I think, you're, you know, my concept on this one is you're always living with cancer. Mm-hmm. Once you get this wonderful, wicked disease, you're living with it the rest of your life. Um, I was in treatment for about a little over two years. Mm-hmm. I had massive, as my doctor would say, very aggressive treatments, um, but my body kept handling it, mm-hmm. and so he kept going. And I kept saying, is this going to ever end? And he said, the trick is, we will only know in a couple of years. If you don't get a recurrence in a couple, in two or three years, then we mm-hmm. know we gave you enough. Mm-hmm. If you do, then we should have gone more. So it turned out that I, I think it was that I had, uh, I always get this a little confused, 15 chemos, serious chemos. And then they did a laparoscopy and removed my tubes and my ovaries, mm-hmm. which was way more pleasant than having a debulking. And I went dancing that night, and then I had six more uh, infusions. I had 
problems with my blood count. I had I couldn't maintain my white cell count, and it, it has to be at a certain level to get chemo. Mm-hmm. So sometimes my treatment was postponed mm-hmm. um, a week at a time, you know, and mm-hmm. so it delayed delayed the completion. But you know, I, when I was done, I was done, and I've never had a recurrence mm-hmm. you know, or anything close to that. So um, it worked. And Nancy, why do you think that you have not had a recurrence? What has made the difference? Well, I think instantly I knew. I am a psychologist. I like to talk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So while I was in um, in the infusion room, very, very pretty infusion room at Stanford, I was still in there many, many hours at a time, and I would talk to patients and find out what was going on with them and emotionally and what they were afraid of and it's, it, it became quite evident that many of them were, were dominantly afraid of the loss of finances to, to stay alive, mm-hmm. that they couldn't afford treatments, that they were worried how it was affecting their family, that they were making choices of not doing the medications so that they could put food on the table, but not telling their doctors they weren't taking the medications. Um, and it was desperate. And there was one man in particular who said, I think um, I'm considering suicide because I'm a burden to my family. Oh. And I knew I had to do something about this. Mm-hmm. I just, it just was like, this is America, man, and this should not be in the way of your healing. Right. And it's just too much, too much, too much stress. So I became quite committed to find some solution for these people. Mm-hmm. And I lived in a very wonderful place in California, and I started checking out community resources and seeing what was going on, what was available, what was missing. And um, I think that's a pattern to my whole work with my foundation is, like, what's not being addressed and what can I do about it? And I started my website, got my nonprofit status, started my website, and it was going to be a Nancy's List, it's called Nancy's List, of just financial resources available across the country. And... I became an obsessive, just anything, everything, you know, find the camps for kids that are free, find the retreats for for survivors that are free, find, you know, general living expenses, people who will come clean your house, people who will walk your dogs and prune your roses and do anything, and just started accumulating that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I became very passionate about this. I really thought this was going to take away a lot of the stress and anxiety that, I knew, you know, and I had my own issues with money. I think every one of us has an issue with mm-hmm. money, but mm-hmm. mine was pretty interesting. It was like I couldn't maintain the, the white cell count. So what the, the protocol for that is that you take these shots every 12 hours. Well, my fancy PPO at the time, bless Blue Shield's heart, would not pay for those shots, which were $360 a, a shot. Wow. Twice a day, um, unless I would return to Stanford to have that little shot being given to me. Mm-hmm. That was untenable. I couldn't travel to, to Stanford every 12 hours from where I lived. And even the, uh, the local hospital, they said no to that. They said no to my friend who was a hematologist. No, 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 no. Finally, I shot myself up, which is unbelievable in my mind, but I did that and I paid the money because mm-hmm. I couldn't manage going down there days after every infusion. Um, twice a day. It's like two hours level. Anyway, and they, nobody would pay for that. Mm-hmm. And as, after it was all over, I'm researching this for other people, 
I called the Patient Advocacy Network in New Jersey, I believe, and told him my situation and said, well, what would you have done? He said, we would have found you the money. But, you know, it's over. It's done. We can't go backwards. Mm -hmm. But um, tell your people to go do go call these places if you're in need and and apply to anything and everybody that potentially can help you. Um, this is true for getting medications. You can get those for free. They don't need to spend this enormous amount on cancer medications. There are resources out there that will give them. There's so many, there are so many angels in our midst who are right. out there working right. for the cancer community. Mm-hmm. And my job, it seems, is to educate them. And to coordinate and the practitioners and to coordinate them. I'm sorry. And to coordinate them. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Um, and that goes back to another piece of it. It's like you you can't do be expected to do all this. You need somebody who's working for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a friend who's going to just be your financial person and and help you find these resources, or somebody in the hospital. Uh, social working staff has to be your partner in this because you can't expect a cancer patient to do all the work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is one way we can make the system work a little bit better. So that would happen, and then it, ultimately it became a community organization that I developed with with a little team. And I think that the answer to the question of 10 minutes ago mm-hmm. was I had too much to do. I couldn't... Mm-hmm. I had things I could do, and I had the skills to do them, and I had the passion to make it happen. And I was just really busy. Great. <laughs> really busy. I didn't uh-huh. have time for cancer. You know. <laughs> I know the feeling, and it works, right? I know. I think we're partners <laughs> in this. Yes. Yes. I have too much to do. Right. Don't, Nancy, don't yeah. one, one more question about this, and then we'll look at the foundation in much more detail. Mm-hmm. But my uh, last question on this is, would you do the same if you had diagnoses again, if you were back when you first were diagnosed? Would you use the same interventions? Well, I sure as hell would go back to my doctor mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> as fast as I could mm-hmm. because I think he is the only, and I'm saying this with some hesitation, he's the only, okay, let's do it differently. That's going to get back. He's very, very in tune with me and mm-hmm. my psychology and who I am, and I feel like too often times I talk to patients who don't have that kind of trust mm-hmm. with their doctors. Mm-hmm. This is just an example just to tell you how amazing. Mm-hmm. The first night I'm in Stanford in a very beautiful room with my friends and my family all thinking, what, what has happened? And the doctor said to me, when, when all these people go home and you really flip out because of this being diagnosed with cancer today feel free to call me at home, and mm-hmm. he gave me his home phone number. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I did. Guess what? I did. You mm-hmm. know, and he was generous, and he was gracious, and he calmed me down and said, I'll be over there at 6 a.m., and I just felt like the entire time that we worked together, and we still celebrate every mm-hmm. April 29th, he, he taught me more about trust. He taught me more about the healing process. He taught me the importance of that kind of relationship with the doctor that's treating you because you're putting your life in that person's hands. And he was he was just an incredible partner. So would I do it again? I would do it again. Well, it, mm-hmm. it worked for me. It's mm-hmm. like, so, yes, I still think I have that resilience. 
Um, and I love my life now, so I'd want to live a whole lot longer. And, uh, yeah, it didn't seem so bad, you know? (laughs) It wasn't, like, it wasn't that bad. It was like I never thought I was going to die. Everybody else did, but Mm -hmm. I never thought I was going to die. Um, Mm -hmm. And I could hear them talking about it behind my back, and I just said, stop it. I'm not going anywhere. I want to live, you know, and... I'm not saying attitude of gratitude is the only way out, but it mm-hmm. certainly helps. Right. I would do it. I'm I'm older, you know, I don't know if I'd be as successful as I was the first time, but I certainly I'm not done. I got more work to do. Great. And and more uh, fun to have. I like this, Nancy, and I thank you. And so then you were working with people trying to help them with resources and mm-hmm. when did you then begin doing this? kind of full-time, and what were your goals? Well, one of the things that was became abundantly clear is how many people actually go through living with cancer quite alone. Mm-hmm. And I think my mission statement is no one will ever go through cancer alone. It said a lot to me about what was my goal. But it was also a goal that I still hold. Like, it's, it's important to educate and make people aware that there are possibilities there are always possibilities, you know, and not to close down to that, that there's ways to get, to develop hope and to develop gratitude, which is another one of, obviously, my big, mm-hmm. big uh, goals. And and to learn to live with cancer, not, not as an adversarial situation, but as something that you can really learn how to live with it and how to have a full and re... re a nourishing, wonderful life, um, and also be a teacher for other people. As as we both said, so many people are passionate about giving back because they're so grateful for what happened to them, and I think that's the kind of community I want to be part of. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So <laughs> the finances are helpful. What I'm working on now is developing a directory of uh, people across the country who are practicing integrative therapies so that the healing is not simply um, confined to what happens in the infusion room or the radiation room, but it's a much more comprehensive way of healing the emotions and working with the physical and the mental and the spiritual bodies and offering hope. Um, So that's my goal. And is your plan then that you would identify resources for the people that cannot afford to have some of these supplemental interventions? Yes. Well, I started hoping that everybody would give it away, you mm-hmm. know, but I <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was misled that that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So um, I, there are some people who are very generous, very, very generous, and they wouldn't be in this field. I mean, you don't choose to be in this field, it seems to me, of, of being a healer unless you've got a big, fat heart. Right, um, right. And so I, you know, as much as I, I wish that everything were were completely free, not all of these resources are free. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of separates the two sections. The big, big sections in my website is one is about uh, financial assistance programs, which are free, are very minimal at, at the most, mm-hmm. and sort of the integrative therapies, which some are, 
some are not. Many cancer centers now are offering all these wonderful services from yoga classes to nutrition consultations to all kinds of things for not only the person who is living with cancer, but the family that is living with cancer mm-hmm. or the friends. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's such an integral part of healing is like you incorporate the family into the, the, the whole healing. Mm-hmm. I think England may have been a little bit ahead of us on that because <laughs> I visited yeah, some cancer sites in England. It must have been, let me see, it must have been in the 90s sometime. I took a group of students to the University of West of England for a summer course on comparative health care. And they took us to one of the sites, and they had the parents come for a week, and they taught them all of the things that they were teaching the patients, the cancer patients. Uh So I hadn't heard of that prior to that time. Uh But uh, I think often other countries are ahead of us in some of these things. So uh, Well, I think that we're getting better. I mean, I think one of the things that, well, one of the things that, that we did in the foundation, which I'm very pleased about, is, oh, it, it, it sort of evolved. Can I, do I have a little time to tell the story? Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, as I was developing my directory of, of financial support, I had several women come to me quite serendipitously. They did not know each other. They were all on their early 30s. They lived in the same community I did. And they were very concerned um, that their friends, their women friends, were getting breast cancer. Mm-hmm. They came in their yoga clothes, which they lived in, and they said, you know, we kale every day. How come it's happening to us? And they were, they were personally, selfishly, not selfishly, but self-concerned, but they were also just so worried about the, what was happening in, the, in that age group. So I came up with this idea that we needed to do a community call to action. And as typical, we gave a party, and, um, and I put out signboards all over the place, some things, you know, clipboards that mm-hmm. I will babysit your children, I will drive you to treatment, I will bring food, I will, you know, all kinds of things. And I said, it's going to take a village to deal with the epidemic of cancer as we see it. And are you interested? And they all got it. It was like resounding. It was so exciting. And they were signing up for everything. And we got this whole Bay Area community involved. And even the little children at preschools were making cards and mm-hmm. and posters to mm-hmm. decorate mm-hmm. the children's cancer wards at UCSF and at any other place. We had rock and roll people giving concerts to raise money for the families. We had teenagers preparing good food, taking it to families every night through their school year on Friday night, party night, and sitting with that family and developing friendships and tutoring their children and playing with their dogs or whatever. And that was wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody got engaged. And it was so helpful to the community of cancer, of people living with cancer. They just felt so loved and and cared for, which they had felt pretty much alone. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was pretty wonderful. And at the same time, I had my my psych psychology practice, and I had two children come in separately. One was a little girl who had been um, adopted from tech, from Mexico, and she said, my daddy just died of cancer, hmm. and my mom's on her second bout of breast cancer, and if she dies, will I be sent back to Mexico and be an orphan again? Hmm. 
okay? And within the same week, a little boy who came in and said, my mom has cancer, my dad is drinking like a fish, please help me find the words to tell him to stop. And I was just like, and right now I could break into tears just thinking of those two children, and I said, I've got to do something here. So I set up a club, which was Nancy's club, so then who were living with cancer, children and teens, be it their own diagnosis or that of someone they love, could all be members of our club. And we would, every weekend, we'd have an adventure. We'd go sailing. We'd go to a sporting event. We'd go um, to the beach. We would something, everything. So these kids could just be kids. They could uh, forget that they had cancer for a few minutes, a few hours, and they could support each other, which they did beautifully, beautifully. And then they all started going to camp together. And so this club was just like, I know this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so it's a feeling like, um, you know, it just kept growing in different ways that way. Mm-hmm. You know, there were other things, the parts of projects that came up that I thought were really important. Mm-hmm. At one point, um, I wrote, a, I, I realized that c- cancer support doesn't start with having, uh, that you're in recovery and you go to a fitness class. Mm-hmm. Cancer support has to start the minute you get diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And in in respect to that, I wrote a book with 42 other people who were living with cancer, most of them patients, but some of them were caregivers and family members and loved ones, that was for a cancer patient as soon as he or she was diagnosed, that it would be given to the person in the new patient packet or on the bedside or it would be in the infusion rooms or the radiation clinics or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's called I Am With You. And their love letters to cancer patients, just helping them get through the stress that as soon as they are diagnosed, so they know that there are people who've been there and done this, and and it talks about how to get through the angst, and uh, it just offers hope, and it just offers a helping hand and an open heart, and we've had it placed in a lot of UCSF, for example, in San Francisco, placed it in... Uh, new patient packets for a year. I don't know if we'll, they'll redo that, but hopefully. Mm-hmm. And it was very. It was just like hit them when they really are hurting. That's when that hurts. So um, I'm proud of that one. That's a good one. Right. I did something similar, Nancy, but with a homeless population. Oh um, boy! I took my mm-hmm. students to the homeless shelter. Well, it started out. I would go and set up a card table at the homeless shelter, and I would take their blood pressure, and I'd talk to them about health issues, and then it seemed like it'd be a good experience for my students, so then I started taking my RNs that were doing an independent study with me, and they liked that because the women were much better looking than me, and also they were (laughs) much more up on what was going on in the emergency unit because they were emergency nurses, many of them. And so then I wrote a grant, and I had a almost a million dollars to provide primary care, and I set up a uh, center for homeless and low-income people for primary care and had a nurse practitioner, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that was very exciting. Mm-hmm. But one project I did with a group of students was they came and they had to do a project with the homeless, And so I had them develop a resource flyer. And so they went out and they investigated all of the resources for homeless people in the community. And then they put the flyer together. 
And then we had a little ceremony at the end where we invited the mayor and we invited the media and news people in the community and the students presented it to these leaders in the community. And then they went out and went to certain uh, places and where the homeless would uh, be and they left the flyers and then periodically mm-hmm. they went and replenished them. So it was a similar thing, I think, from what you did in your with mm-hmm. your book, I Am With You, uh, but it was with the homeless population, and I think it was quite successful. Mm. That's terrific. That's terrific. And so you put out flyers in various areas in some communities nearby at the time, and then you're available. Do you primarily talk with people on the phone, or do you email, or... How do you interact with the people that contact you that need resources? Oh, I get so many calls, I can't even oh, begin do you? to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> help me, help me, help me, you know, and every one of them, you think, oh, my God, i got to do this one. Um, people call me, people write me because it's prominent on the website, uh, how to reach me. I'm, mm-hmm. I want to be available. It's got my name on it. I want to be available. Um, and... A lot of them are terminal cases where they just please find a wish fulfillment organization for me, something like that. Or mm-hmm. it does. It, a lot of them are financially related, but it, they're also looking for a person who can um, help them with lymphedema. All that is listed on their website. Mm-hmm. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of resources out there already listed, but they do want the personal connection. So yes, it's email. Um, I don't have a full practice like I used to mm-hmm. because, quite honestly, it's like I, uh, I want my reach to be a little bit bigger than I can do on one-on-one right now, mm-hmm. although I do, I do still see some people. Right? Mostly I talk to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like these are people from all over the country. So mm-hmm. I mostly I'm on the phone, um, which I think works better for me than just writing letters back and forth to mm-hmm. get, get a grasp. Uh, and oftentimes what I also see is the people who are going through cancer don't have the energy or can't, don't, are not predictable, let's put it that way, whether they're going to have the energy to get in the car and come over to my office. So the phone works. Some of them don't want to do Skype quite truly because they don't want me really to see how they're looking. So I respect that. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways to stay communicating. Mm-hmm. And I've made this commitment. You know, mm-hmm. I want to be there when I'm needed. And is there any particular type of cancer patient that you hear more from than others, or is it just uh, all types? Well, I, I this is a uh, I have this reputation in the ovarian cancer world. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I, <laughs> right, right. That is that has been a you know. Oh my God, wait do you talk to her? You mm-hmm. know. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I was getting originally calls from all over all over the planet. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was amazing how many people, and I used to track it. I don't do that anymore. What countries they're calling from, mm-hmm. and how do they in the world did you ever hear my name? You know, mm-hmm. um, and it was primarily that. And then it was it is a lot of women's cancer, but I speak a lot. You know, I just spoke at a prostate group, mm-hmm. um, which was brilliant to me because mm-hmm. I expected one thing and was wildly delighted that I was wrong. Um, you know, I thought, oh, men aren't going to talk. i got to talk the whole time. What am I going to say that makes... <laughs> you know, I, you know, they, they didn't want to hear from me. They absolutely wanted to talk to each other. And 
the two hours that we were together, they just were checking in on each other. They were so intimate. They were so supportive. It just gave me so much joy to see that they um, had this relationship going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is not an easy situation for many of these people, but they they exchanging phone numbers and doing all this kind of stuff. And I thought, this is, this is really a good thing. And I'm so pleased that I was so completely wrong mm-hmm. about what would happen that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And finally, so I'm all over, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's a hospital here that's being developed and trying to set up an integrative therapy se- uh, section or adjunct to their program, and working with them to sort of design what really possible. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm always saying more than they're saying. Uh, uh-uh, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> we mm-hmm. don't have the money, mm-hmm. right? Now, finances is a big problem, and you said that you have trouble finding financial resources also. Well, it was a battle with with the insurance for me, but that's what actually, I think, uh, motivated me to find it for other people, because I really understood Mm -hmm. how, and I was fortunate. I could get a second mortgage, but if I couldn't have gotten a second mortgage, I wouldn't have had $225,000 to pay out for medical bills. Right, which right. I did, I still did with mm-hmm. insurance. You know, so it's it's so preventative, um, and and it makes it so impossible for people to just focus on what they should be focusing on, right. which is getting well. Um, I think so I, that political action is so important on the part of people that are working for cancer patients, but. We're limited also. I think that I had to specify how much of my time would be allocated for the foundation for political action, and it was a small amount. So I have to do it primarily as an individual and not as a mm-hmm. foundation. I do too. Yeah. I can't, I, yeah. I mean, I've had, this has all been a volunteer organization. I'm a volunteer. I've always been a volunteer. You know? <laughs> Me too. But it, it's, uh, I understand that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's hard to, to, to put a price tag on us. I mean, I wish I could do fundraising, but I don't have the time to do it. Right. You know, I don't right. know. I'm not good at it. That's not my skill. No, I'm not good um, at it either. Uh-uh. No, and yeah. see, just for my own foundation i'm not good at fundraising oh no so, and then because are we on camera or we're not on camera you're editing no, this no, right no um for example you know i get asked to, to write a grant for certain organization this is susan coleman which is a great mm-hmm. big rich breast cancer organization right, right. as well the money is, to write a grant and so i don't have um a history of having huge contributions from people mm-hmm. and big budgets. I mean, I just go by the skin of my teeth on this one because it's just who I am. And they just well, how could we possibly give you money when you don't have a five-year history of getting grants from other people? And I said, because <laughs> I don't have an answer to your question. So, I mean, they didn't even didn't even process my application right, because right. I don't have that history. So well, it's I think an individual. Haven't they also had some bad publicity recently? I think I saw some. I'm sorry? I, well, I guess we shouldn't get into it. But I thought they'd had some bad publicity recently. Oh, some bad publicity. I would love to tell you about that. My daughter-in-law, in my new marriage, is Cecile Richards, who was the head of the uh, Planned Parenthood for years and years and mm-hmm. years, for 12 mm-hmm. years. 
And, yeah, they had a big brouhaha with Planned Parenthood because I can't even remember all the details, but you're right. You know, so I thought they were trying to redeem themselves um, in, in offering offering uh, funding to something that's outside the strict breast cancer mm-hmm. model that mm-hmm. they have. But it's not true. You know, it's, it's not true. And so I'm fine. I don't want to be beholden to them anyway, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But funding would make it easier. I could probably use an assistant. <laughs> right. Me too. But I don't have one, so that day will come. And how The day you... will come, or I think we both would probably say that it's, uh, it's a challenge sometimes to, to put ourselves in, up on the front part of the burner, you know, instead of looking at all these people who are in need. And... So it's a balancing act, and... So far, it's okay. I get to talk to people like you. Now, Nancy, your national practitioner program, is that the integrative practitioner program that you mentioned? Yeah, that's on the website. Everything's on the website these days. It's Mm -hmm. a great website. Uh And I separate it out by state, and then some of them are national because they're national organizations or they're people who can work by Skype or phone or whatever, so they get into the national category as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's, it, I mean, I just started this, I think, in March. Mm-hmm. What is it? Yeah. And it's amazing how how many wonderful, wonderful people are showing up and saying, I want to participate. Mm-hmm. So it, I think I've hit something, you know, and um, it's a good deal for them. They get a little publicity and activity. And I feel like it's part of my job is to um, to make people aware. Mm-hmm. that there are other ways to heal. And it, it, so much of it is just what we talk about. It's the emotional, the spiritual minds that have to be taken care of, mm-hmm. or you're not going to heal. Right. You know, maybe and, you are, but right. I, we need to expand the notion of healing. And well, I think that's probably why you and I haven't had recurrences, quite honestly, right, right. because we knew that. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say anything more about your book, I Am With You? Well, I'll tell you this because you'll like this story. Mm-hmm. The title comes from some words the first night of my diagnosis when my doctor said to me, this is a bleak prognosis. It's, it's, got a, um, it's going to be a really rough ride, but you need to know I am with you. Mm-hmm. And I just jumped up with those <laughs> words because they're really big words. And when they're sincere, like he was, um, it just, it set the dynamic in process, you know, like, yeah, he is, he was really with me. Uh, believe me, as you know, a lot of people never feel that. Right. Um, so that's one of my, my calls, you know, get yourself with people that you trust, get your, you know, get a team, uh, work, if you don't like your doctor, change it, because there are a well number of people who could, could, could work with you. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that I want to say about this too is like I think it's important that we educate practitioners to like I don't expect um, oncologists to have all the answers or to have the, the 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 range that they can help their patients emotionally, but I do want them to be aware that their patients need psychological, spiritual guidance, blah. Mm-hmm. And to prescribe that, to actually say, I want you to go get this kind of help to deal with the depression, the anxiety, the stress levels, whatever else is going on. Um, I think that will make their task much easier to have that person on their team. But I think we have to we have to teach them that. We mm-hmm. have to tell them there's, there's hope here. You know? Right, right, 
Right. Uh, When you mentioned I am with you, it reminded me of Edgar Cayce and one of the uh, things in his Search for God book. And I think this came from Jesus. I am with you even till the end. Does that sound familiar? Uh-huh. I'm with you. I don't remember that. Okay. I'm with even you always, even till the end. I think that it was from Jesus, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Then, well, you... I've used that word, you know, so much with with the clients mm-hmm. I had in my psych practice, and I did walk them to the end because everybody seems to want to disappear at that moment, and right. they they desperately need someone to hold their hands as they're going through that journey. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, somehow we got tough assignments, but I think that there are many of us who can really make some some changes, some really transcendental changes in the way uh, healing is is addressed. Mm-hmm. At least the English can do it; we can do it, right? Right, right, right. Uh, we're getting close to the end, Nancy. So I mm-hmm. want to make sure again that the listeners have your website. Okay. And how they can. It's Nancy's list. Dot org, N-A-N-C-Y-S-L-I-S-T dot org. And, and can they reach I'm you through that? Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. You said you're available. Yeah. I'm available by phone or email, email let's say, nancy at nancyslist.org. Well, I appreciate this so much, Nancy. I know it will be encouraging to people that have cancer and especially ovarian cancer and mm-hmm. also to know that there are resources in one spot that they can find more about resources that are available for them because that is such a an area that is not accessible to many cancer patients. Right. Good. So I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate your help in, in putting this out there. It's really important Thank that you. we all will do this together. Great. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. It was a joy to talk with you. Thank you. In the time left today... I would like to tell you about my latest book on preventing cancer, which is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and other bookstores, as well as on my cancer website, Holistic Cancer Foundation. The book titled Reducing Your Cancer Risk, A Holistic Approach, uses a public health model for the framework. In general, the framework postulates that there are multiple factors that lead to health or disease processes in our lives, and these include host factors, environmental factors, and agent disability factors. In order for disease to occur, there must be a strong disease or disabling agent, a weak host, and a favorable environment that brings them together. It is possible to intervene at various points in this process to prevent disease or move us toward a healthy phase. We focus on the period before the disease agent interacts with the host, and our interventions are directed towards strengthening the host, reducing the virulence of the agent, and making the environment less favorable for future interactions. Things one can do to reduce the impact of the environment and agent include working with electromagnetic frequency waves, ultraviolet waves, carcinogenic chemicals, and carcinogenic metals in the environment. Research on how these affect humans and ways to eliminate or reduce their effect are presented. For example, 
Bisphenol A or BPA is an endocrine disruptor and may cause cancer of the breast and prostate. It is found in plastic water bottles, canned food lining, eating and cooking utensils, among other sources. During the summer months, when water bottles are transported in unrefrigerated trucks, the heat causes the BPA to leach into the water that you later drink. There are also things you can do to become more resistant. These include physical interventions, proper nutrition and fluids, physical activities, vitamins, minerals, herbs, and supplements, immune builders, smoking cessation, and use of sound or music. For example, research shows that eating proper nutrition reduces your cancer risk by 35%, and exercising 30 minutes a day for five days a week reduces it by 50%. Research also shows a strong body-mind-spirit interaction and the effects of mental-spiritual factors on disease. Thus, one should pay attention to forgiveness, faith, prayer, optimism, being positive, helping others, affirmations, and other activities. Research on the effect of physical, mental, spiritual behaviors and health illness are discussed in the book and what you can do with these behaviors to make the body more resistant. For example, about 50% of cancer patients have a forgiveness problem and failing to deal with this leads to chronic anxiety and a depletion of killer cells that protect against disease. Ways to deal with forgiveness problems are presented. In addition, links to interviews with over 75 experts on the topics discussed in the book are included. I thank you for joining me this week, and I hope some of the information was useful. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, your host. <music>